I'm Samuel Forsyth, and you're listening to Trail Voices. Thirteen hundred feet above Boulder, Colorado, sits the summit of Mount Sanitas. Known by old-timers as Sanitas, it's one of Boulder's most popular hikes, as well as a test piece for those who really want to push their limits. The Mount Sanitas Trail is the most direct route and covers 1,300 feet and roughly 1.4 miles on the south ridge. It's also snow and ice-free most of the year. Sanitas is one of Boulder's most popular hikes and runs. Some locals are hike it or run it on almost a daily basis. The fastest known ascent of the mountain was made by none other than Killian Jornet, the legendary mountain runner who has held fastest known times on mountains like the Matterhorn, Aconcagua, Mount Blanc, Kilimanjaro, the Grand Teton, and more. He was the National Geographic Adventure of the Year in 2018 after summoning Everest twice in under a week, without the support of supplemental oxygen or fixed ropes. It's unsurprising, then, that his July 2010 record ascent of Mount Sanitas in 14 minutes and 12 seconds still stands. If you want to test yourself on the mountain, be sure to touch the metal post at the top, because that's when the clock officially stops ticking. That metal pole is one of the most photographed objects in all of Boulder. Search the hashtag Mount Sanitas on Instagram and you'll see what I mean. I can't tell you how many photos I've seen of the pole. I've seen high fives at the pole, proposals at the pole, a toddler standing on it, while the father, who obviously just placed her there, stands and spots, ready to make a catch if the toddler leans too far forward or too far back. It's a cylindrical metal post about five feet high with a round metal plate mounted on the top. The plate is probably six to seven inches in diameter, with external threads in the center. Like a camera tripod, except these threads are thicker, maybe five-eighths of an inch. The pole itself, I guess, is three, maybe four inches at the most in diameter. I've seen random poles out in the mountains before, but none so robust as this, or with the neat lid with the tripod-style threads on the top. The funny thing about this off-touched and off-photographed pole is that no one seems to know what it's there for. It's a mystery. The kind of mystery that people wonder about once, maybe a couple times, but they don't really think too much about it. Or at least that's my assumption. Meanwhile, for those who make frequent trips to the summit, it becomes a ritual to touch it when they reach the top. It struck me funny at first that we often go hiking and running to be in nature, but a hike or run up Mount Sanitas feels just a little more complete when you touch that cold, man-made object at the top. A couple of years ago, I tried to solve the mystery of the Sanitas Pole. I did the kind of sleuthing most in the 21st century would do. I scoured the internet. To my surprise, I came back empty-handed. I learned a lot about Mount Sanitas, that there was a sanitarium, a health resort, established in 1896 at the base of the mountain. 
I learned that the sanitarium built a trail and employed burrows to take guests up up to the summit. Now stop for a moment and imagine that. Imagine riding a burrow up the Sinitas Trail. I learned all of that and more, but I found out absolutely nothing relating to the metal post on the summit. So this is my second attempt at cracking the mystery of the Sinitas Pole. And this time I'm taking a different approach. I'm starting out by reaching out to people familiar with the mountain. First up is Chris Soros. Chris is somebody I've followed on Instagram for quite a while. I've seen a lot of photos of mountains, trees, wildflowers. You just get such a good vibe from his photos and his captions. So I thought I'd ask him about his experience with Sunitas and uh, get his thoughts on what that summit post is all about. Could you just tell me like your history with Mount Sunitas? Like, have you hiked it a lot? Um, yes. Um, so the short version is I, I came for out to Boulder for a meditation retreat, found love with it, moved out here a year later. And, you know, shortly after was introduced to the, the hike um, and then in 2018, when I decided to run a Spartan, instead of joining a gym, I thought, I don't want to be in a gym. I want to be outside. So I start. my goal was to hike Sanitas every other day. And that was part of my training. And then I just did some other, you know, exercises at home. But so it, I've, I've had quite a relationship with, <laughs> with the, the mountain. So what's your, what's your idea? What do you think the Sanitas pole is there for? That's a great question. Uh, I've wondered that. Uh, I assumed it was some kind of geological marker, um, even though it's strange that it is a pole. Usually it's just, you know, uh, like a, like a stamp on a rock somewhere. Um, so who knows, maybe they had mounted a telescope or something there like they do in certain places to enjoy the view and look around, but I don't, I have no idea, honestly. Yeah. I'm just curious. Do you have any idea how many times you've been up and down it now? That's a <laughs> well, I, I think I could probably say somewhere between forty and fifty. <laughs> nice. What's yeah. your What's your favorite uh, route up and down? Uh, generally, the the steep up and the slow down. Um, and there's a couple spots along the way that I like to stop. There's one where the tree's kind of leaning and growing up against the the rock. Um, and there's some rocks to your left, so I, I like to sit up there. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's probably as accurate as I can get on how many times, because after I did the Spartan, I definitely slowed my, wasn't up there as often. Yeah, yeah, Was it? did it turn out to be good training for that? It did, it did, and I, I, uh, I added uh, going up to Netherland and starting to hike up there for the altitude, because I did it in uh, Breckenridge. So we, we started at 10,000 feet, went up to 13 and back down. That was pretty, uh, I could really feel it. <laughs> I felt yeah, yeah. Well, well, thanks, Chris, so much for uh, taking the time to chat with me a little bit about that. Thanks uh, for the invite, and uh, I'm curious to find out the, for you to solve that mystery. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. All right, take care. Have Bye. Day. Next, I ring Ryan Van Vute. I know Ryan has been up Sunitas. And I know he'd be up for being on a podcast because he has his own called Broad Strokes with Ryan. It was like one of the first actual like runs that I went on in Boulder. One that kind of I feel like grounds me and I go back to uh, from time to time whenever I'm down in Boulder. 
Great. And when you get up to the summit, do you go up and touch the pole or do you? Oh, yeah. Uh, every time when I'm up there, like, <laughs> and it's even gotten a couple times, it's been a little awkward that, like, I always go up and, like, at least touch the pole, top of the pole. It's just, like, I don't know. I, I was never told that's what you have to do, but it's just, like, the the pole up there, to me at least, I think it almost seems like it's, like, a button. So I need to, like, go up there, whether or not there's other people around and just, like, touch it for a second. And then I sometimes will hang out, but a lot of times it's, like, just touching it, and then I'm right back down. It's just, like, it's like a switch flips in my brain. I'm like, okay, did that, now time to go. What do you think it's there for? Does it have a purpose? Was it made for a purpose? Why did somebody put it there in the first place? Um, so... I have, so I was kind of like looking, I've looked at it before and I'm like, I wonder if it, I, I have no idea what it is supposed to be, but my theory is, is that it's some sort of um, sundial or map or whatnot um, to kind of be able to like see like other, other parts of like the other mountains in Boulder. That was just kind of a theory that I kind of... <laughs> Put it in my head. Now that's an interesting idea. Could there have been some type of plate like the one on nearby Green Mountain and on South Arapahoe Peak that points to other objects in the distance? It makes sense. Let's say the pole was put there before the trees grew in on the summit of Mount Sinitas, and you would have had a clear view of the mountains to the west as well as the landmarks below in Boulder and to the east. I think I need to ask a few more people and Jeremy Hendricks comes to mind. I know he's been on Mount Sanitas a lot. He also has a great Etsy shop called Moved by the Mountains, where you can buy things like a mug with a woman crying, accompanied by the words, he doesn't even trail run, or a shirt with a mountain illustration that says, run mountains, not your mouth. You can even get official salmon squad gear there, in case you are not on the Solomon squad and you like salmon. How many times, do you have any idea how many times you've been up there? Um, so I've been in Boulder now for a little over seven years. I'd say probably close to 500 times. Wow, okay. And what do you, what do, you do normally when you get to the top of Sanitas? Um, kind of depends. It's either a touch and go um, for sort of lap lap purposes or yeah um you know it kind of depends on the vibe i guess when you get up yeah the vibe on the summit yeah the vibe on the summit um you know sometimes it's it's um yeah more of a touch and go experience um or it's or it's kind of yours um which is really unique so when that um uh, I, I take I, I take that solace there for a little bit yeah and and kind of allow allow myself to sort of have that moment, and then then usually boogie. But it's uh, yeah, but it's it's absolutely customary to to touch the pole. Do you know? Maybe you know this. You've been up five hundred times. What is the purpose of the pole? Um, I I can only surmise that the original intent for the pole was for sort of um, sight function. So maybe there was um, something mounted on top of the pole for surveying um, or using it as like, yeah, like sort of a binocular sort of function, if you will. 
Yeah. And do you think like, but not like for the purpose of rec- recreationalists to look through them? I, yeah, that's my, I think, yeah, I think it was, it's, it was designed for recreational use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, as you know, that, that pole and that pole type, however, is not unique to that position. So that, so sort of um, to follow up to my original idea of it being for rec use, that that theory becomes a little bit more dissolved mm. because of the uh, other location. So yeah, so that that kind of that sort of kills the theory because then it makes me think that they're potentially for um, surveying purposes. Um, so less for the rec and more for the surveying purposes for uh, right. So maybe mounting something for visibility huh. functions, but um, but you know in distinct locations to sort of um, monitor whatever you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But uh, the other question I wanted to ask you is the pronunciation of that mountain. What? How do you pronounce it? Um, I I, I pronounce it Sanitas. The proper way, or. Just the way I you do. No, I, I don't believe that that's actually the proper pronunciation. Um, I'm I'm going to go with the rogue theory that it's um, that it should carry the namesake of the now now defunct Boulder Sanitarium. So sanitarium. My theory then is that Mount Sanity. Uh, sorry, Mount Sanitas. Yeah. As in Mount Sanitas for sanitarium. Yeah, that that probably rings a bit more true to its its real origins. You know, I think we're a product of our of our environment, and when you hear it, probably for the uh, the first few times, then that's just kind of the way that you you go with it. So, but um, but I'm a I'm a Sanitas guy for sure. Since Jeremy is a Sanitas guy. Naturally, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk to someone who pronounces it the other way, Sanitas. I reached out to my friend Joe Wurst. She's somewhat of an anthropologist herself. She has a lot of knowledge about uh, mountains and wildflowers and things like that, and if she uses the old-timer pronunciation, maybe she has old-timer knowledge about the mountain. My history with Sanitas, like my personal history, is that my grandparents lived in Boulder and my mom grew up in Boulder. So when I was little, we'd go and hikes up Red Rocks and then we'd hike the valley portion of Sanitas um, over to Iris, which is where my aunts lived. So we'd hike from Fourth and Arapahoe over like through the mountains to Iris and back um, to get to my aunt's house. Um, but the history that my family has with Sanitas is much greater. My grandpa moved to Boulder in the late 1940s. And he was also the head guide of the Mountain Recreation Department at CU um, starting in the late 1950s. So that's, that's a little bit of my history. Um, my family has been in the Boulder area since the 1940s. And even though I don't live there now, it's still very much a part of me. The mystery is about the pole at the top. So okay. I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> uh, what is your take? What's your theory? Or if you know the fact behind it, why is it there? Why was it put there? What was the purpose? Well, I don't know for sure. 
But my gut is telling me that's probably a USGS survey poll or of something of that nature. It's probably used to survey the area. Um, yeah, that's probably my guess. So I, I looked up the root word of sanitas for you. In yeah. Case you're wondering. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> the root word of sanitas is sanus, S A N U S, meaning health and clarity of mind. Um, so sanitas, if you use that root, um, means that the mountain is there for health and clarity of mind, like to build your sanity. Yeah, the mountain's yeah. name is for that. So that's yeah. awesome. Well, thanks, Joe. Um, we'll have to talk again soon sometime, and uh, let me know if you uh, pop into Boulder. Oh, I will. I will definitely let you know. It might be sooner than later. Okay, the geological survey point makes sense to me. I've never seen a survey point like that with this type of post, but it makes sense. Now, this podcast would not be complete unless I reach out to Ali Franzalia, a.k.a. the Boulder Hiker Chick. She had just come down from bouncing around the Flagstaff trails when I got a hold of her. She's a writer, a naturalist for Boulder Open Space and Mountain Parks, one of the founders of the very popular Boulder Hiker Chicks hiking group. She spends as much time as anyone on the trails in the Boulder area. I don't know. Um, isn't Doesn't the plaque say something like... Um, the plaque that's there, isn't that something related to the Boy Scouts or something, or Colorado, I don't know, wasn't there a group that's responsible for the plaque on the rock? Because I forget what's on the plaque, but I wonder if whoever is responsible for the plaque is also responsible for the pole. (laughs) That's true, yeah. The plaque, it says something like, the trail going down the East Ridge was made possible by some hiking group, and and it has the year on there when they built the trail. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Well, it's interesting. I was going to say, you know, it might just be a summit marker, right? We have a summit marker on green. Um, There's all different kinds of summit markers on different peaks. It might have just been that whoever was responsible for, like, finishing up the trails there or, you know, whatever work was being done wanted to put a summit pole there, like a summit marker. Um, Since there actually isn't a USGS summit marker there, to my knowledge, um, but then, actually, I'm thinking about the fact that those poles exist also on anemone, right? Um, I'm I, I'm surprised, like, that we don't have more information on that because there's so much history here, and there's so many people who have been involved, like, you know, intimately involved with the trails and open space here for so long that it's kind of a shocker that um, nobody seems to know. Well, I say Sunitas because I know that's what 99% of people say, and I don't want to sound crazy. But when I talk to people who've been in the community and involved in open space for a long time, I'm talking about people who are like at this point in their like you know 70s, 80s for sure. Um, I know several people who say sanitas, um, and and if you do uh, research on the word, it does seem like that is likely to be the original pronunciation. But back when it was named after the sanatorium that was right there at the base of the mountain. Um, so I think there's a lot of evidence that it was for a long time pronounced sanitas. Um, and now we say sanitas and, you know, it's just kind of too late to go back. <laughs> okay, so I was going to look into this. The idea that the plaque on the rock of the summit 
being related to the pole on the summit. Now the plaque reads, The trail along the east ridge of Mount Sanitas was constructed for volunteers for Outdoor Colorado in cooperation with the City of Boulder Open Space Department on May 19th and 20th, 1992. So, I sent a message out to volunteers for Outdoor Colorado. Dan Williams with VOC, as it's also known, contacted several people who helped make the trail, but confirmed that the pole was not related to the project. He even got a hold of two people who had planned the construction. As for the identical pole on Anemone Hill, I found some graffiti that has the name Byron and 74 etched into it. Now, 74 has me thinking that the Sanitas Pole was there before the East Ridge Trail plaque that says 1992. So, back to the internet I go. Now, one of the places I ended up on the web was fastestknowntime.com. In recent years, Fastest Known Times, or FKTs, have become more and more popular. Fastestknowntime.com is now where you go to find all of these official records, you see the courses, and uh, you can kind of get some of the history too. So uh, whether it's the FKT on the Appalachian Trail or an FKT on Mount Sanitas, it's there. It's kind of wild to see the name Killian Jornet next to our hometown mountain time trial hill. The women's FKT is held by Lisa Goldsmith, and I was interested about that, so I clicked on her time, which was 1855, and then I read, this was in the Cardiac Arret Race. Cardiac Arret Race. A race? On Mount Sanitas? A race? So Boulder doesn't allow any official races on open space and mountain park land. Once upon a time, though, apparently in 2003, there was a race up Mount Sanitas. So a little more research, and I got onto Bill Wright's website, which is great, so shout-outs to Bill Wright. Um, I found out that Buzz Burrell a.k.a. the father of the fastest known time, participated in that race, and at the age of 52, he managed the ascent in 16 minutes and 48 seconds, and that's fast, very fast. I'd already been thinking about asking Buzz about the Sunitas pole, but I've been putting it off. Because, of course, Buzz knows why the pole's there, and once I ask him about it, the mystery's over. So, uh, but now that there's more to talk about, I decided I'd give him a ring. I wanted to hear more about not just the poll, but I wanted to hear about the race. I wanted to get to know him a little better as well. If you don't know of Buzz, he's known for the mountain adventures he's been going on for the past several decades. Buzz and Peter Backwin together have been on many noteworthy adventures and set FKTs including the John Muir Trail and Cascade Trifecta. Buzz came up with the route known as the Yellow Freeway, which runs from Long's Peak, the highest point in Rocky Mountain National Park. In fact, it's the only 14er in north, northern Colorado, north of I-70 to the Arapaho Peaks, the highest point in the Indian Peaks, the fabulous Front Range Mountains closest to Boulder. Buzz also hosts the excellent Fastest Known Time podcast, where he interviews amazing athletes and just cool people in the FKT community. Yeah, so you're on a you're on a two-week driving trip to California? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's what's that all about? Well, it's cold in Boulder. I'm happy to be warm. <laughs> Nice. Nice. So yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to be a part of this podcast episode about Mount Sanitas or Sanitas, depending on uh, how you pronounce it. Um, just, ah, that's yeah. right. 
That's right. We're, so we're talking about Sanitas. Yes. And that's one of the little pieces of this podcast is on the pronunciation. How, how do you pronounce it? The well, English language is slang. And so there are no, literally no rules. So Sanitas is the standard normal pronunciation, which is the Spanish pronunciation, accent on the second to the last syllable which is common in Colorado. However, it's not named a Spanish name at all. It's named after a sanatorium at the base, which is Latin. So the correct pronunciation would be sanitas. Got it. Got it. Which, Only which, Peter and I say that. <laughs> do you say sanitas to some people? And did you choose when you say it that way? Or just do you say it sanitas all the time? I say it sanitas all the time just to irritate people. <laughs> That's great. What I'm really trying to do with this podcast, I was first trying to get down to the bottom of a little mystery. When I was doing the research on sanitas, I came up with some interesting information. Some of it was from uh, the Fastest Known Time website. You're known as the father of Fastest Known Time. I think um, you and Peter Backwin are behind fastestknowntime.com. Coming across this uh, website and seeing your name there on this official race that took place on Mount Sanitas was pretty interesting to me because I had known open space and mountain parks to not allow races at all ever since I've been around. So that was pretty interesting to me. I was wondering if you could kind of go into some of the what that race was like. It looks like it took place back in 2003. I noticed you, um, Dave Mackey, was in it. Galen, your son, was in it. Uh, Brian Metzler was the official starter. Yeah, c could you just tell me a little bit about that race? The cardiac arrest. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, very odd. You're entirely correct. O Open Space Mountain Parks does not allow any competitive events of any kind. And of course, Boulder is known as one of the trail running capitals of the world. So there's an incongruity there that's very unfortunate and that competitive events are literally banned. And then outside of Boulder, Boulder County Parks and Open Space has a similar ban, no competitive events of any kind. This even includes geocaching. Then if you get into the Boulder Ranger District of the Rappo National Forest, they don't want competitive events either. So we have the, one of the trail running capitals of the world, some of the best trail mountain runners and ultra runners in the country. And there's no such thing as a trail race in the area. So the cardiac arrest stands out indeed. How did that happen? What happened because of confluence of timing and events and the persistence of Christian Griffith. So Christian is an interesting man. He was one of the early sport climbers in the United States. He spent time over in France and learned tools and techniques they're using over there came back to the States where the ethic was what we would now call old school, but it was a high standards, very good ethic, minimal bolting, and if you did place a bolt, you went from the ground up, which is extremely difficult to do. And in France, they just forgot all that, the heck with this, and they would rappel down clean holds, take a power drill, and place bolts for protection, which enabled them to climb literally an entire grade harder than anyone was doing in the States. So one can debate this various up ways and down. But Christian was a pioneer. And some he was into running, he was into scrambling in particular, and somehow he got in his head, let's do a race up Sanitas, which there he couldn't really do. But as it's happening, there was an election at the time. 
or open space tax. So the department is feeling a little sensitive, I guess. It's unclear what the deal was. They wanted the tax to pass. And people who show up at meetings get heard, and people who don't show up at meetings don't get heard. And we were showing up at meetings at that time. And I also was in the Chautauqua Meadows, which is an iconic location in OSMP. Many photos of the Flatirons in the backgrounds. Yes. And I saw this film crew filming a TV commercial there. And I said, what's up with this? They're just off in the grass, off trail. And there's this film crew from Santa Monica, and they've gotten a permit to film a TV commercial. So I just, all of a sudden, I was kind of getting into this, and I took it to the media, and I said, look at this. This is a major incongruity here. They were feeling a little sensitive, and so they issued a permit. And it was a, a timed race, not a mass start, not even going off in pairs. It was one person every minute, and it was timed. Time trial. Yeah, it was, it essentially, it was a time trial, right? So it was extremely low-key. I think they had let in... 40, 50 people, I forgot how many, super tight, super limited. And then everyone who, who got in had to do three hours of trail work. And then they had level one law enforcement rangers at the bottom, you know, getting surveys of other users saying, you know, how'd that go for you? Did these people bother you? So it was kind of almost not worth it. Uh, yeah. But it did go down in history as the only official legally permitted trail race to take place on open space in mountain parks in Boulder. Right, right. I guess you have to, we have to qualify that with legally permitted. So, yep. Yeah. So you, hi, when I came across this, it said Buzz Burrell 1648. And I believe you were already 50 years old at that time or 50. Yeah, I was yeah. in my 50s. So 1648 was pretty quick. <laughs> That is really quick. Um, and looking at Bill Wright's website, I kind of wondered if you actually had, if that was the FKT until somebody in the time trial uh, went faster than you. Do you know, was that a new course record? for? Well, Sanita? I think I finished, I forgot what I finished in that event. Uh, I forgot, I can't remember, fifth, sixth, I could look it up. So no, there's a number of people who are faster than me on that day. Right. But maybe I was thinking maybe they came in after you did. Oh, I see. So I held the FKT for like one or two minutes. Yeah. Um, That's what I was wondering. Couldn't say. Okay. Couldn't say. Yeah. From Bill Wright's website, it kind of looks like maybe you did. Um, but I see, uh, gosh, 1648. Um, that's just stout. Uh, was that your fastest time? Yeah, I think it probably was. Mm -hmm. In my 50s, I set my PR in my 50s. A little unusual. But, you know, when you get in a race, you just throw down. You go a little harder. If you're out there by yourself with, you know, of course, back in the day, you had nothing going on. Um, you might have had a stopwatch. And then later on, you had things like the Sunto and kind of pretty good watches. But it wasn't until Strava came on that you really had things to shoot for. So things were a little bit hazy back in the day. What was the scene like at the start? And then what was the finish line atmosphere like at the top of uh, Sanitas? Well, Bill Wright himself, I believe, set up the timing, which is, you know, Bill's a good organizer. Um, he, the closest trail race, the only trail race anywhere near Boulder is 
his race, which is in a state park. So I mentioned that the city open space doesn't like it. The county open space doesn't like it. Even the National Forest or the Ranger District doesn't like it, but the state parks are okay with it. So Bill is an organizer of a race called the Rattlesnake Ramble, which takes place every September in El Dorado Canyon State Park. And he um, just used a radio and a timer at the top. I think it was his wife, Sherry, was at the top. And it was like, go into the radio. And then you know, Sherry's looking at the clock. And so it really was timed on a point to point within, you know, certainly accurate within a second or two. Right. And uh, how, how old was your son at that point? Uh, well, he was born, let's see, when I was probably uh, 24 or so. So yeah. he would have been, you know, 30. Were you, like that. were you guys competitive at that race towards each other? No. no. Galen's talented. <laughs> I mean, Galen, somehow that's an interesting question. I always thought that as Galen uh, you know, graduated from high school, he went to high school in Michigan, he came out to 10 CU in Boulder, uh, which is where I live, and I thought there'd be this time where we'd you know, intersect. Because when he was in... Uh, junior high and high school. I think he tried running cross country in high school. He also played soccer, which he was good at. Um, that there'd be a time where we'd get a chance to you know, do stuff together for a number of years until inevitably, if he kept going, you'd get better than me. That didn't really happen. <laughs> I mean, he was like back there, he's back there. He started to learn to run and then he was better. So it was kind of this quick uh, learning curve for Dave. Right. He passed me quite quickly. Yeah, he is. He's he's still a really strong runner, isn't he? Yep. I guess I'm curious too, just about just an FKT history on the mountain. I think uh, a really big name has the current FKT. Do you yeah. know how that went down? Uh, Killian was just visiting, you know, as he just on tour in a low key way, so to speak. And uh, Killian Jornet, of course, we're talking about, who's you know, as extraordinary VO2 max, very good technically. And so he just uh, threw it down on the local trade route. You know what I mean? If you're coming through Boulder, I think it's changed a little bit now. But at the time, this wasn't that long ago, but the time you come through, wherever you went, you wanted to do the trade route. You wanted to do what the boys were on. So Killian threw down on Sanitas and, of course, posted a very good time. But Sanitas, you know, we got runners here. We had the cardiac arrest, a play on words in case you didn't figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. And then before that, though, the FKT, which is you know, a little bit hazy because, you know, pre-internet, you know, a lot of these times were pre-internet days, um, was some skiers and some cyclists. So... Um, very interesting people. What's his name? Darren. Oh my gosh, I forgot his name. Excellent Nordic skier. I think he had the FKT because you know, Nordic skiing is a, those guys have some of the highest yeah. view to matches anywhere. Yeah. They've got power. Oh, they yeah. don't need turnover. You know, they need mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name, but you know, he owned yeah. a Boulder uh, Nordic Sport. He still does own Boulder Nordic Sport. He's a really good guy. And I think he had the FKT. And then Oh my God, Davis, you know, Finney. I think Davis Finney and Andy mm. Hampson had mm -hmm. a go at, you know, you know these are yeah. world tour, you know, Motorola team. You know, yeah. Uh, stage, stage winners, Tour de France or Andy Hampson was anyway. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And Ricky Gates, I guess. So, um, and he's friends with Killian. Did, did, was he, was Ricky part of Killian's uh, attempt up Sanitas? Do you know? I don't think so. And um, Ricky is uh, lived in Boulder only a short time. He was uh, a bartender over at Frosca owned by Bobby Stuckey. Good paying job, by the way, in case you're wondering about that. But Ricky didn't, he wasn't in Boulder that long. He was originally from Aspen. He bounced back there. He's in, of course, Santa Fe for a long, uh, Santa Fe. He's Santa Fe now, but is in San Francisco for a long time. Ran the Dipsy. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he was there when Killian was there. But they're both on the Solomon team. That would be the connection. Right. I'm looking at the Fastest Known Time website right now. And uh, yeah, it's so cool to look at these uh, people who own the records and Lisa Goldsmith owns the women's record right now. But uh, nice. Yeah. yeah, you've done a lot of mountain stuff and I feel you're more of a mountain guy, more of a, advi- yeah. out, you know, more of a mountain adventure guy. But you also do things like stand up paddle boarding, bike, riding bikes, uh, things yeah. like that. How do you kind of see yourself in the whole realm of outdoor adventure? I'm an adventurer. Yeah, I've never billed myself as a runner. I, that's not really how I view it. <laughs> Which, you know, it's sort of sacrilegious to say that because running is a huge sport. 41 million Americans are doing it. So it's a big deal. And I've been working in professionally as well. And of course, I love to run. I'm known for that, but that isn't my self-image. It isn't really what I see. And so from the, I've, see... I mean, I, I can go through the quick list. <laughs> so in terms of running, where they race the track, I've raced in the road, I've raced uphills, I've raced trails, I've raced mountains, I've raced ultras, and I've raced uh, adventure races, kind of the whole spectrum yeah. there. And then I've done bike races on pavement, road races, I've done mountain bike races, and I've done gravel races. And skis, I've raced Telmark through the gate, and I've done 50K. Actually, I did that in the same weekend. On a Saturday, did a 50K Nordic race, and then on a Sunday, I raced Telmark through the gates. And I've raced uh, classic cross country, uh, freestyle, which means skating, cross country, and snowshoeing in the same day. And I've actually, just getting a little different here, that actually that same evening that I drove back into Denver from Winter Park and competed in ballroom dancing. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. It's strange. And then, as you mentioned, I've done a very, very minor stand-up paddling race and a surf ski race, which is what I really meant to do now, surf ski. And let's see, volleyball. Let's see, I've competed in uh, men's doubles, mixed doubles, Men's sixes, mixed sixes, and co-ed fours in volleyball. Love volleyball. It's probably, probably something I can't remember right now, but that's that's what comes to my mind right now. And you come across to me, from what I know of you, as someone who cares a lot about the outdoors and the outdoor experience. You seem involved in policies like open space and mountain parks kind of stuff. Yes, I'm on the board of directors of a 501c3 called Open Boulder, which we uh, aspire to protect and encourage enjoyment and appreciation of the outdoors. 
Nice. And so I'm going to get to the mystery question I have about Sanitas. You might ruin the mystery because I think you might know the answer to this. But uh, when most people get up to the top of Sanitas, a lot of them go up and touch the pole. Yes. Good. So um, I've asked this to a lot of people. and There's a lot of different theories. But what was the pole for? Why is it there? What was the original purpose? Oh, well, that's a tough one. And unfortunately, I do not know the answer to that. It's still a mystery. Indeed. <laughs> or maybe you're just not telling me. I don't know. No, you'd, you'd uh, have to go back and, and research the archives of the sanatorium. My guess, it had something to do with that. But I don't know. Is it, so sanatorium is for TB, tuberculosis. And so there's no cure for tuberculosis. People back east, it was a very bad disease, a fatal disease. And the only known cure was to come out west for clean, dry air, which actually might have helped. I don't know. So it's a base. You can still see it. There's a hospital there now. It's an old brick building. It's still down at the base. Right. And that started out as the TB sanatorium. So that pole might have been put up for that purpose, but I do not know. Well, great. Well, what's what's what are you up to now? Are you uh, going to continue your? How come it's taking you two weeks this this uh, trip to California? It's warmer here than it is in Colorado. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I won't take any more of your time. Thanks so much for talking, Buzz. Great. Nice talking with you. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. So that was a fun conversation. But to be honest, I was surprised that Buzz didn't know the answer, and I was unprepared for his response. I hadn't thought of what to say if he didn't know. One takeaway from this interview was that this is truly a mystery. I took Buzz's advice though, and I looked deeper into the sanitarium files, and there's some interesting information there. There is still an old stone hut and an old man-made arch that you can hike to. I even learned that the name of, like the name of the mountain itself, the sanitarium's name is not as straightforward as you might think. You'll note I'm saying sanitarium and not sanatorium. All the old literature and old postcards spelled it sanitarium. I came to find out that both spellings could mean a health facility, especially in the time of mass tuberculosis outbreaks or, or consumption, as it was called back then. The word sanitarium in particular was used to denote a general health resort. The word sanatorium was actually coined to differentiate a tuberculosis facility from a health resort. But for the most part, over time, the words became pretty much interchangeable. Eventually, a cure was found for TB, and most sanatoriums converted to general hospitals. Old Colorado maps and marketing materials I found from the early 1990s all mention health resorts. This was at a time when wellness vacations and hydrotherapies were booming across the country. Cold and hot baths of varying types were very popular. And like Buzz said, a lot of people were coming out west for the clean air and hoping it would help with the tuberculosis. Interestingly, Boulder Sanitarium's own document states that it designated a tuberculosis sanitarium only for a short time before it found that it hindered their other work. At some point, they stopped admitting TB patients because others feared contracting it. As a health resort, it certainly looked nice. It was a rather large campus, well-landscaped with large trees and a man-made lake. Today, you can still see an old brick building that is quite prominent. It turns out that that building was housing for the nurses, before it became a home for the elderly in the 1960s. It sits above where the other sanitarium buildings existed. So down some more rabbit holes. In my research, I came across a great daily camera article by local historian Sylvia Padham. 
She writes that the sand, as it was called back then, was a resort and health spa that claimed to cure the body and soul, and the part of the regimen was hiking the backyard mountain. The sand was run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church and was founded at least in part by John Harvey Kellogg of Cornflakes fame. Kellogg placed a great amount of focus on diet, and soon the Colorado Sanitarium Food Company prepared granolas and other cereals on site. Sylvia wrote that when patients, or guests as they were called, first arrived, they were seated in the dining room at the conservative table. There they would eat meat, white bread, and caffeinated coffee and tea. When they moved to the liberal table, meat was still allowed, but not the coffee or tea. And then finally, they reached the radical table, where no poisons, uh, food poisons, in quotes, were served at all. She writes that the guests, said to have been overworked men and overweight women, may have been charmed by the orchestra playing in the background, the elaborate oil paintings on the ceiling, and the ever-present view of the mountains from the fourth-floor dining room. But they were constantly reminded to record every calorie they consumed. The sand became a place where men and women could exercise outdoors in loose-fitting clothing. This was right during the time of the women's dress reform movement, which was directly tied to what many call the first wave of feminism in the United States. Now, the sanitarium was founded in 1896, and remember, women didn't have the right to vote until the 19th Amendment was ratified August 18, 1920. Did you realize that we're coming up on the 100-year mark this summer? So, uh, yeah, mark your calendar, August 18, 1920. Uh, was when women officially had the uh, right to vote. I read about Dr. Kate Lindsay, who was among the first women graduates of the medical school at the University of Michigan. She came to the sanitarium in the early 1900s. She abhorred the state of women's wear, with tight corsets and long, heavy skirts that dragged on the ground. At one point, she accidentally stepped on the long train of another woman and commented, I never apologize for stepping on anything that is on the floor. The last thing she often said in the first day of training for new nurses was, And remember when I see you next time, that corset must be off. Her story is fascinating, and while I read about her, it took me to another time, when the U.S. was more wild. She grew up in a log cabin on a lake in Wisconsin, back when wolves and panthers still roamed the area. And panthers, by the way, are basically cougars or mountain lions, but, you know, we call them different things in different places and at different times. Her first school desk was a log split in half with the flat side up. At her school, children learned to write with sticks on a level place in front of the school where the ground had been broken up and then smoothed for the purpose of writing. To reach the schoolhouse, she walked several miles through a dense forest. She had a mother who read her books nightly and instilled in her a love of reading. This girl would go on to be a young woman in the first graduating class to include women at the U of M Medical School. It's fascinating to imagine the experiences she and her classmates must have had at the time. Years later, she moved to Boulder, Colorado, and lived and taught nurses right at the base of the mountain that so many of us enjoy. So as you can see, I've fallen into a couple rabbit holes with this mystery, the mystery of the Sinitas Pole. And while I'm not much closer to solving it than when I began, I'm not too sad about it. I got to speak with some interesting people, I learned about a -a once-in-a-lifetime race, and I just scratched the surface of local history and came to the stark realization that there is so much history that is lost or mostly forgotten. Since talking to Buzz, 
I've researched telescopes and binoculars, coin-operated and non-coin-operated. I've reached out to the different companies that make them. I've corresponded with historians, hiking club presidents, and land surveyors. And I'm still on the case. But I'm going to take a break from the research, and tomorrow morning, I'm going to go up for a run up Mount Sanitas for my health and my sanity. Although I love running trails to be in the natural world, I'm looking forward to seeing and touching that man-made object that sits on top. Stay tuned for part two of the mystery of the Sanitas Pole. Some things will be uncovered for sure.